My name is Rob Ockenkloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to think what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. We are stoked to announce that issue one is now shipping. And anyone listening to this podcast can order the first issue or pre-order the second issue with the code podcast at checkout. They'll receive a 15% off discount in that process. Today, I am joined by none other than Rob Garrett. Rob is a lifelong learner on a journey to build a creative life by creating cool things and teaching people how to create cool things. Previously, Rob worked as content manager for LinkedIn Learning, aka lynda.com before it was bought by LinkedIn designing curriculum, and implementing online courses for a variety of subject areas, including video production, motion design, product design, 3D visualization, architecture, engineering, and construction industries. Before his role at LinkedIn Learning, he was an art director, animator, and editor with many years of hands-on experience in the print and broadcast industries, working for a variety of ad agencies and television networks. A true jack-of-all-trades, he has worked in almost all roles and in all programs or verticals that you could possibly imagine in the production world. He has also designed and produced broadcast projects for many top brands, creating everything from TV guide ads to on-air network graphics packages, promos, TV shows, and sales presentations. In addition, Rob was also an instructor at the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. And just a quick side note, uh, at first, Rob's audio is a little low. It was due to a recording error, but it's fixed after about the first minute. So just bear with us, and I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and Rob Garrett. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Rob, for having me. Your name is easy to remember. <laughs> I think this is the first Rob I've had on the podcast. Um, I'm not counting AMA episodes of myself. Uh, I start every episode by asking the same question, and that is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Um, <laughs> usually uh, it's either my back hurts or I have to go to the bathroom. That's literally the first thing, my back hurts. <laughs> is, <laughs> is that from some kind of uh, chronic thing or an accident or... Yeah, I've got uh, arthritis in my lower back, and it's just uh, one of those one of the the magic things about getting older, is that you <laughs> you some things you can prevent, and other things just sneak up on you. This is one of those sneak up on you things. Sure, um, my dad has been having the same issues recently, which kind of pushed me to do some research. Have you done much research into any kind of cryotherapy? Because I've been seeing amazing results from at least my parents trying it. For their arthritis, I have not. That is something I have to be something I have to look into because that does sound really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean this this idea of you know uh, putting yourself in a chamber with being blasted with a level of basically frozen nitrogen and it super like cools the joints and so like even though it feels very cold because it's not actually contacting your skin, it's not hurting you, but it's enough to stop the inflammation from. Uh, I, I guess I guess it inhibits inflammation in that moment, and apparently that shrinking of the nerve cell in that moment, and then the reflushing it with the blood helps it really just kind of push through pain. I've I just had some good wow. uh, 
some good, uh, I, I haven't tried it obviously. Um, but I have a lot of friends who have found a lot of, um, non-medicated, uh, relief from it. So I recommend trying it. I'm definitely going to try that. I live in a small town in uh, central Oregon, uh, Bend, Oregon. And, uh, we probably, we, it's, uh, I bet you have some like medium yeah. season. We probably have that. There's enough yeah. old people here that, uh, we probably have that. Well, well, interesting. It, it's, it's being currently really used by the, uh, sports medicine communities. Like I know a few pro athletes that yes. live in Bend. Um, and I know they use it pretty heavily because like these guys are just trying to stay in the peak form for as long as possible so they can keep getting sponsorship deals. Right. Um, yeah, for real. So to kind of dive deeper on, I want to get back to Bend later and, and the importance of, of Oregon. And I know that part of the world to you, but first, um, to kind of help position everyone listening that is un- unfamiliar with you and your work, um, how would you describe the work that you do now to your eight-year-old self? Yeah. So the right now in this moment, I am uh, my to my eight year old self. I am temporarily retired. Um, hmm. This is so uh, for context. Um, I was a three D animator and uh, art director and video editor and motion designer and then also a teacher of all of those things. And uh, then got sidetracked into the corporate world, uh, working for Lynda dot com, uh, and then LinkedIn which turned, you know, LinkedIn bought lynda.com and mm-hmm. turned into LinkedIn Learning. I was there for about 10 years, almost 11 years actually. And so uh, I kind of got sidetracked into the corporate world. And um, now I'm uh, I, in April of this year of 2022, I chucked it all and uh, part of the great resignation. And I'm getting back <laughs> to a previous version of myself and I'm going back into uh, being a creative person and kind of trying to ditch the email and spreadsheets. I love that. Um, so to kind of break down a few things for people that are familiar, lynda.com was a learning website. How would you describe it to someone like you're pitching to them in the street before it became LinkedIn yeah. Learning, I should say? So lynda.com was the place for creative professionals to learn uh, a variety of skills. So uh, Linda Wyman and her husband Bruce started the uh, company um, in the late 90s and then started off recording uh, lessons at a at a studio in Carpinteria and then uh, selling those on VHS and then selling them on DVDs and then putting them on the fledgling internet. And, uh, you know, 20 years later, they ended up uh, selling that organization to LinkedIn for a very large sum of money and checking out. Uh, and then we turned into LinkedIn learning at that point, but I came on with them, uh, as an instructor at first, uh, teaching cinema 4d and after effects courses. And, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and then, uh, was offered the position to manage content in those areas. So um, uh, it's one of those jobs in the, there's so many positions nowadays that, that didn't exist, um, you know, uh, even one generation ago, sometimes even only 20 years ago. And the content manager for an online education company is one of those things. Basically it was like a, a combination of um, uh, imagine if a, a department chair at a university and uh, a sales and recruiting job had a baby together. And, you know, my job hmm. was to design all the curriculum around a given subject area and then go out and find people to teach those subjects. And so um, uh, that's where the the sales and recruiting part came in. So I would uh, think up all these amazing courses across a range of subjects. It started out just as uh, uh, content for video production and motion design. And then um, uh, eventually turned into architecture, engineering and construction subjects. Hmm. Uh, and, um, 
product design and manufacturing subjects as well. And so it was, pardon me, it was across a, a, a range of subject areas that I would you know, figure out what people needed to learn and then go out and find subject matter experts to teach those subjects. And that's, that's fascinating because I'm guessing when you were younger, you probably had no idea that you would have kind of gone or dove deep into this teaching uh, field, right? No, not a, not even a little bit. It was, <laughs> uh, the teaching uh, came accidentally as well. My grandmother was a teacher on my dad's side and my sister's a teacher. Um, mm. And uh, I started teaching kind of informally in the 90s. I, I came to the um, uh, digital imaging world. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever Photoshop one came out, I, you know, I forget the year exactly, but, uh, that was six ninety seven. Oh no, it was, it was before that. It was, uh, oh, really? it was like, yeah, 91 or something like that. Oh, and, uh, yeah, it was Photoshop. So whatever the first version of Photoshop, that's what I was working in. And I, in 1991, I was working at, uh, uh, a, a very stuffy suit tie job and, stumbled across um, this thing called desktop publishing by accident and um, uh, figured out that I was pretty good at it. And uh, I'd never really thought about doing this sort of thing. And um, uh, again, without, you know, I could, I could go on for a long time about that story, but um, that mm -hmm. was a, one of those seminal moments in my life where the universe said, Hey, you should be doing this instead. And so um, I quit my job and went out and became a freelance uh graphic designer uh in the early 90s and kind of stumbled my way through a a career that um uh was really right at the transition point from analog the analog publishing world into the digital publishing world mm -hmm. uh and um I, I was teaching photoshop and then eventually also teaching people after effects and that sort of thing on the side just uh you know kind of like piano lessons cuz there there was no internet really yet yeah. and um and just going, you know, going over to someone's house and sitting with them for a couple hours and then uh, teaching them how to, to create stuff. And then uh, slowly but surely throughout my career, um, uh, I was kind of gradually going towards this place called Art Center, which is a college in Pasadena, California. Um, I didn't realize at the time, but um, I, I was I ended up as an art director at, at Fox Kids Network. And uh, hmm. this was in like 97, 98 or something like that. And um uh, we were in the same building with the Fox primetime and Fox sports folks. And one of the guys that worked for Fox primetime was teaching at art center. And he said, Hey, uh, would you like to come and, uh, you know, take over? I'm, I'm going to be going on vacation. Would you take over one of my classes for me this week? And, uh, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but, uh, it was actually an audition of sorts. The, the department chair, uh, for the for that place was sitting in the back of the classroom that night and kind of was watching me the whole time and uh awesome. i came in and uh you know taught that class and then they asked me to take over the the classes full-time because that guy was leaving to go to europe to take a oh, wow. art directing gig and so um yeah it was one of those accidental things and suddenly i was teaching at this this institution of a place um a guy with no formal education and um we talk about a lot of imposter syndrome it was uh oh, I'm sure. it was it was a really uh a um uh an interesting turning point in my life and i i never really wanted to it wasn't something i planned on doing but it turned out i didn't i didn't suck at it actually i take that back i sucked at it at first and yeah. uh, if anybody hearing this took one of my early classes at art center look me up i'll buy you a beer 
and apologize because <laughs> those classes were rough. <laughs> so, um, kind of, pl- how long did you spend teaching at the art center? Uh, eleven. No, sorry, thir- thirteen years actually. Thirteen years. Because I starting. So I started in ninety eight. No, no, I started in two thousand three. Sorry, and then um, so actually it was like yeah, like eleven or twelve years. Sorry, not thirteen. But the, anyway, two thousand three. Okay. And then after I started with Linda.com, um, it just became too much to have a full-time gig and um, you, Linda. and teach at the same time. I was, you know, all of the staff at Art Center are all adjuncts, so or most of them. So Got I was it. still, you know, full-time freelance, uh, you know, creative professional at that time. So from this kind of balance of teaching at Art Center and also, uh, you know, constantly creating for paid work as a freelancer. What did that balance teach you? Because because on one side you're getting paid probably not a ton of money to teach what you'd hope to be the next generation of the people that are gonna you're gonna either hire or that are gonna follow in your footsteps. On the other side, you're constantly working on kind of developing your own career and what comes next. So what did that balance teach you between those two? Uh you know it the thing, the most important thing was that uh, people who are learning things ask the most uh, amazing questions. And that was, mm-hmm. for me, that was the the biggest thing that I got out of my time at Art Center. I learned so much. I grew so much as a, as a, as an artist and, and creative person during that time, because, you know, they, uh, it's easy to get set in your ways and to think that you know everything about a given thing, whatever it is. And then along comes a person who's learning it and they'll ask you something. You're like, God, I don't know. Like, well, I don't know. Let's, <laughs> let's try doing that thing. Like I, like, why the hell would you even think of doing that? And, uh, and then we try it and we'd, you know, we'd all, I'd say everybody come over here and sit, you know, watch while I try this thing that they just asked about. And we'd all learn together and do that. And that, that it's happened possible. a lot. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I learned the most and so, for example, my my I've been using you know Adobe Creative Suite mostly illustrated and designed for years now, um, and my girlfriend is self teaching herself because she just wants to learn it for a few projects. And it's amazing how many different ways there are to do one thing, right? And it's kind of like a choose your own story campaign in like a in like a first player video game, right? It's like you want to make this object yes. or this thing special. And then when you get to 3D, like <laughs> Cinema 4D or even Final Cut Pro, yeah. there's like 8 million ways to get the same thing. So it's always fascinating seeing someone's process <laughs> grow based on their own belief system and how they view the product. But, you know, I, I think that the best, the talking to people that have kids, right? They say the same thing about their kids. It's like, I learned so much yes. from the questions my kid asked me. Because like a lot of us have answers to things, but most of the time they're like pithy pre-recorded answers. Like, do we really know the answer? Like, do we really <laughs> actually understand, you know, what physics is or what quantum mechanics is or how the stock market really works? No, we're just saying like, oh, this is what it is. You know, <laughs> this is this is what that is. And that's fascinating because I always remind myself when sometimes people ask me like, oh, hey, what is that? I'm like, well, I don't really know. But, you know, I spend my entire time thinking about it. Right. Um, yeah. So moving into that, you you kind of you kind of picked up the table and flipped it earlier this year when you when you quit during the mass resignation as everyone was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what what led to that decision in terms of like what was just a, there a personal desire for change where you just kind of needed you to like retake the reins of your own life? Like what was it? Yeah, it was all of those things. So. Um, it, 
by so uh, in as of April of this of this past year, I'd already been working there almost eleven years at the same job, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, when I started that role, it was kind of a an amazing thing. It was this really cool combination of being uh, being a teacher and being a, a person who enjoys talking to people and being a creative professional because that was you couldn't get the job unless you were also a subject matter expert. You had to be an expert in the area that you were content managing for. And so um, it was just really amazing combination of of all the aspects of things that I'd already been doing because I was teaching at Art Center, I was freelancing all over town, um, and um, I was giving presentations, uh, you know, for Maxon and at different trade shows and that sort of thing. And so um, it was this really cool combination of all those things. Fast forward, you know, uh, eleven years later, um, it's lost its luster, and you know, I'm, uh, you know, over the last really you know, three or four years, I'd been increasingly unhappy with the work itself and just, you know, the wash, rinse, repeat nature of it. And it just didn't have any of the, the creative challenges that it used to. And, um, totally. I, I, you know, at the time I couldn't figure out why I was unhappy. Uh, and, um, you know, my therapist had recommended, uh, that I take some time off from work and, uh, uh, and that was really the kind of the, the, the gateway to all of it and and um yeah a combination of both uh verbal therapy talking with my therapist as well as um psycho uh, uh active therapy using mm-hmm. um psychedelic ther- therapy sorry using uh magic mushrooms um mm-hmm. uh which was a, a huge turning point for me it really opened my eyes to the thing that i'd been missing in my life which was creativity to be honest i you know i i took this side journey and it was creative. And then it slowly, everything that the job turned into kept me further and further and further away from who I'd been before that. And, um, yeah, yeah. And it, it was, you know, mm-hmm. all of us are every, you know, every moment of our, our day of our lives, we are, uh, asking ourselves, you know, what are we going to be? If you're thinking about that sort of thing, a lot of, some people don't think about that sort of thing, but if you're paying attention and if you're thinking you're going, who am I now? And what do I want to become? And we're always thinking to ourselves, like, hey, I want to be this this other thing in the future. And for me, I kept confusing that with the with who I was in the moment, which was this corporate dude um, who literally like it was email spreadsheets and calendar invites all day long. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was awful. And it, it's, it's not who I was. <laughs> I mean, I was a, a creative professional. I was, you know, mm-hmm. I was pixels and polygons all day long. And you suddenly I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You go, you go so. from you go from the sandbox to the slide really fast as they say, right? Um Yes. Yes. There, that is exactly one what direction happened. versus Yeah. Um so one thing that I want to kind of stop and talk about um that you did mention uh with with psychoactive therapy. Um you mm-hmm. you're lucky you live in a state like Oregon um that is very open to people um trying what they need to try and as as someone myself who I have a lot of friends and and confidants and people I work with who have been experimenting more and more with these psychoactive compounds. Um, what recommendation or advice would you have? I'm asking this question selfishly and also for anyone else listening. Um, <laughs> what, what recommendation would you have for people getting started? Um, the most important thing is to do it within the context of a therapeutic conversation. Like, you know, mm. mushrooms are feel great, you know, just to take them by themselves, yes, that is a fine thing to do. Um, however, 
when they're utilized in the context of a therapeutic environment, um, they take on different uh, properties. And mm. um, for me, the uh, so I had been seeing a therapist for almost two years uh, before I had my first journey. And then I saw a second therapist alongside of the the my primary therapist who was specialized in in psycho uh, psychedelic therapy um, mm. for about six weeks before the journey. And so, I mean, I did a lot of self-work, a lot of um, sure. reading, a lot of thought processing, a lot of uh, internal reflection before mm. I got to the point where I took anything. And the reason for that was I wanted to to really understand myself and have this be a transformative experience. And um, absolutely. Uh, all of the literature uh, around mushrooms suggests that uh, if you go into it with an agenda, the experience that you have will likely um, reflect that agenda. And, uh, yeah. and so that's why doing the work ahead of time is so important. So to coming back to your question, which is mm -hmm. if, if it's something that you're thinking about doing, number one, talk to someone about it uh, and, uh, and do the work ahead of time so that it becomes a really good experience for you. Yeah, no, I, I could have said better myself, um, based on what I've been reading. Right. I, and again, like we're not doctors, we don't play one on the internet. Um, no. so obviously consult <laughs> any professionals, like don't, don't take our advice for that. But, you know, as someone myself who spent a lot of time during COVID, actually, I just had a lot of stuff I pushed deep down that we all do that we mm -hmm. just don't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I was alone in a new city for such a long period of time, like I was always big into meditation, but I went full in. And so mm -hmm. I learned so much about myself in that process that I think I'm finally at that point myself personally that I feel ready to be open to an experience like mushrooms or or something else of, of that variety, you know? And, and my, I, had yeah. a, I have a deep, I have a very good friend who I'm not going to mention by name for obvious reasons, but I would say he <laughs> took a trip down to Colombia during COVID and mm -hmm, did mm -hmm. some ayahuasca. Um, yeah. and he, he had changed his life. Um, and the, the, the experience he had from one sitting basically mm -hmm. changed his entire direction in life. And since then he started trying different psychoactive, uh, what's the way to call it? Like the psychoactively activated uh, just yeah, whatever it is in that category or, compounds or mm -hmm, mm -hmm, natural mm -hmm. and and that's the thing is like you know these things are mostly natural occurring like that's that's the craziest thing it's like these have been part yeah. of many indigenous tribes for generations upon generations like long predating this country even you know even this because yeah. you know the, the people that most people that lived around the world in like organized yeah. society and they used them for all sorts of things right yeah and it makes sense it's right. There's a wonderful documentary for anybody who's listening. If you haven't already seen it on Netflix, it's called Fantastic Fungi. And it is a really thoughtful look at the role that um, magic mushrooms have played throughout history. And uh, it's also a very beautifully done documentary. The writing is amazing. The interviews are fantastic. And it has a, a ton of, of amazing uh, both cinematography and CGI uh, in the computer generated images in the the documentary and it is it is absolutely wonderful and coming back to my own journey so um i'm a very um i don't do anything uh like off the cuff i'm a very uh premeditated sort of person uh yeah, i tend to, to think about things <laughs> and so um when i was in the the run up to my 
my experience, um, I wanted to understand what I was about to to do. And I took um, half of the recommended dosage um, mm. the week before my journey. So I said, okay, if I'm supposed to take, you know, this, this much amount. for the yeah. journey, I'm going to take half of that just so I understand. So I don't, I'm not going in blind. I really don't, I don't like that at all. And so yeah. um, I'm the same. I took that, <laughs> I took that and it's, yeah, it, it really paid off this time. And what happened for me when I did that? So I, I took that half of that amount. And I had a really mild experience. I basically sat um, with my uh, on playing Minecraft with my sister. She lives in Southern California, and uh, and we you know, we sat and played Minecraft together while I said, "Okay, I'm taking it now." And uh, you know, and I just described the experience to her as I was hmm. going through it, and it was very mild. Like I had some some you know um, uh, you know Minecraft is laid out in a grid, right? And so sometimes yep. the grid would be uh, kind of swervy and uh, you know. Nothing dramatic though. It really wasn't Nothing like a, a huge yeah. trippy experience. It just I had a nice buzz and then mm-hmm. uh, a very mild uh, after afterglow basically. And um, mm. but that evening was when I watched Fantastic Fungi for the first time. So this is a week oh. before my journey. Yeah. And here I That's so here timing. here I am. I, it's it was amazing, right? And so um, here I am, uh, a guy who's you know, used to be a 3D animator and creative professional, now stuck in email and spreadsheet hell. And I'm watching this beautifully done documentary. Um, and uh, there's all this incredible CGI. So uh, mushrooms have this, the the massive part of a mushroom, the most important part of the mushroom is something called mycelium, which is the vast majority of the creature that is underground. We don't ever actually see it. Um, the The fruit that comes up out of the ground is just a tiny little tip of the iceberg. And so they have all these beautiful computer animations to show what the mycelium might look like underground and how it talks to wow. each other. And, you know, it's it's just beautifully done. And I was watching one of those shots and I could see the project file that made it. I could, yeah. I, it's every node, every uh, render setting, everything, every, the camera move, I could see all the keyframes. I was, it was like the um, that moment in the matrix. I was looking yeah. at this file and was like, you I understand everything code. that's going on there. How come I don't do this anymore? And I asked myself that question and that became the sort of the, the motivation and the impetus yeah. for my, when I, the next week when I did the full journey was thinking about what am I, why, how come I don't animate anymore? How come I don't create anymore? Mm. How come I don't do those things anymore? And sure enough, though, though, when I had the actual, the full experience, um, the thing I came away from that uh, with was this feeling of, of contentment about my decision to leave work. I had, I'd kind of yeah. already decided that I, I needed to, I couldn't do this thing that I've been doing anymore. It's time to do something different. And, and the mushrooms confirmed it for me. I know this is going to that's going to sound all woo woo and, and silly, but no, I, I um, understand it fully. really did. It, yeah. it really did confirm it. Yeah. And I think one piece I'd add, cause I'm sure that people are listening at this point, um, that would still be against the idea of, of, you know, shrooms based on pop culture, maybe some kind of religious beliefs or just societal beliefs. But I challenge anyone before they go on this journey as well to just understand more about drugs and the history of drug use. And I'm, and I'm talking, including caffeine and alcohol in modern society, um, and just how powerful they are to, everything there's actually a great book called this is your mind on plants by michael Pollan. i don't know if you've read that rob yes uh, yeah that is yeah that's an amazing book amazing book and and i and i think that yeah. for people that just don't understand like i actually gave up caffeine a few years ago 
and I used to be like the people are like, oh, you just didn't like coffee. I was like, no, I, I love coffee. I still dream about coffee. But what caffeine <laughs> did to me was not productive to a lifestyle I wanted to live. Like I was yeah. grumpy until I had it. I was constantly seeking it. I had drug seeking behavior, which a lot of people do with mm-hmm. caffeine. And because it's so openly consumed, people just turn a blind eye to the fact that this is probably the largest like uh, uh, distributed controlled substance in the world, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's You'd amazing. Be, how many, every coffee room, every break room in America has a, a coffee machine in it. And for they sure. give it to you for free at work, right? Because they yeah. want you to get all hyped up and go back to work. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, is like, you know what? I People ask me like, oh, how do you stay productive? You know, honestly, at this point, I wake up when I want to. I go to bed when I want to. And I don't, I, when I'm on, I'm on. And then I get tired, I go to sleep. And that's just how kind of mm-hmm. how it works. But I think I get way more productivity out of it than the opposite. But everyone's different. Maybe caffeine is that yeah. is that thing. Like I was talking to, uh, a close friend of mine about this. Like when I take THC, I most of the time I go into one of two modes. And THC for people that aren't 100% aware is just like the main active ingredient in cannabis, marijuana. Um, Rob, I'm sure you know. I'm just talking to the rest of the rest <laughs> I live of the in Oregon. Yeah, I know you do. I live in Washington, right? So we get it. Um, but so, you know, I, most of the time I have this very pensive kind of deep thought like am, can be productive. I want to do really creative work. But there's every once in a while, more with edibles with me, I just turn into this goofball. Like I just become this uncontrollable <laughs> ball of laughter where like all I want to do is stop laughing, but just I cannot stop laughing. And the problem is, is sometimes I'm looking for the high that I had where, you know, I was going to be pensive and could be creative because I have a deadline coming up. But instead, I like, I am this mess. <laughs> and it takes me five hours to do something that should take 30 minutes, yeah. right? So all I tell people is like, look, everyone reacts differently to drugs. Um, and not all yeah. mushrooms are the same. So even if you have a bad first experience trying mushrooms or weed or something else, like I'm not advocating for use of anything. I'm just advocating to have an open mind, right? Um, yeah, and, and that's why I come back to um, what I said earlier, which was talk to a professional about it mm-hmm. first. Like that, I didn't just go into the experience um, blind. I, I literally, um, I spent months and months um, talking with my own therapist about it and then, um, then and then uh, employing a second therapist who's who had a direct you know specialized experience yeah. in in the subject and so um, that that that's a huge part of it and and um, you know anytime you you if you go into something with your eyes open you're going to have a much better experience than if you're just you know trying random things agreed um, and I'm actually offline going to ask you for that therapist's name because I kind of want to reach out to them myself because I've been curious about doing it. And I want to do it first in a controlled environment before I would go freelance, so to speak. Um, yeah. And, and, and I have friends who I trust who could kind of be my shepherd, so to speak. But I just mm-hmm. I like the formal ceremonial process because, I mean, that's I, – I think you have to – I have heavy respect for any kind of controlled substance, including alcohol and caffeine, mm-hmm. and heavy respect in the way that, like, you know, these things any, – any one of them can destroy your life, right? Um, yes. And you always have to – I mean, but same thing with, you know, uh, gambling or addictions to video games or overeating, you know, like there's – or even, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, right? Yeah. Um, so – I appreciate you opening up and sharing that. Um, so kind of moving forward in the process. So this enlightenment, we'll call it, 
um if you don't like that you call something else but like this this yes. realization <laughs> i guess you could say um from this yeah. from this experience so at the time you were still at work but you became you made you became you made at peace with this idea of like okay i'm going to leave now and this is the right thing for me right yeah i, w I was actually out on uh, a sabbatical um mm -hmm. at the time um a mental health leave basically and um mm -hmm. Uh, and because I just had hit the point where I just couldn't function anymore. And, um, yeah, I, understand. I think like a lot of folks, you know, I tried to push through it and push through it and push through it. And, you know, I think, you know, uh, rightfully so my, my boss at the time, she was incredibly thoughtful, uh, is an incredibly thoughtful person. She said, you know what, Rob, maybe you should take, um, a mental health break. And I was like, wait, you can do that. And, uh, she goes, oh yeah, here's the paperwork. And, uh, I was like, <laughs> oh, uh yeah yes please and so i took uh three months off from work which was mind-altering literally um but that was the i i i kind of timed my journey about halfway through that that leave of absence so that i could mm. okay. uh, get my head clear from work um and really disconnect from all of my normal routines and mm -hmm. have get myself into a, a headspace where i was ready for um an opening and you know coming back to what what i said earlier that was kind of part of my very like i'm again a very premeditated person if once i decide to do something i'm going to um, figure out the best way for me to do it and that was part of my own plan was to to structure it so that i i took that that journey after getting my head clear from work and so that i wouldn't be dealing with all that same baggage uh, again and so um, that was instrumental i think in in me um, coming to the conclusion I had because I, you know, you, anybody who's in a role where they're, where it's all consuming. And I think, you know, most people, if they're, again, if they're not phoning it in, they're spending yeah. way too much time with their, with whatever role they're doing. And, um, I was, I was in that place and I, I couldn't think straight other yeah. except, you know, to my next meeting or my next email or my next, mm -hmm. you know, deadline, the next cliff, right. The next, the next, yes. Precipice. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting you say it that way because so I am so my opinion about general society is that most people are in denial. And what they're in <laughs> yeah. denial about is differs. But I think that denial yes. is just the strong proponent in the human species. Um and I think because it's uh it's convenient, it's easier. It, I mean it's easier to run away from your problems than to face them, right? But I always yeah. believe on the other <laughs> side of facing those things that have always bothered you is the best life you could possibly have. You know, the thing that you're afraid of is the thing that you have to do, right? And to most yeah. people, that's a terrifying premise, right? Does that it make sense? Really what you're it, it it absolutely does. And the thing I was terrified, you know, for um, so at the time, uh, right at at the time of this recording, I'm mm -hmm. I'll be 57 in April. And uh, so earlier this year, I was, you know, I just turned 56 and, um, and, you know, for the last 11 of those 56 years, you know, 20% of my life, I defined myself as Rob Garrett, content manager for Linda.com, mm -hmm. Rob Garrett, content manager for LinkedIn Learning. And um, to, to step away from that identity was terrifying. And um, oh, it really was um, a hard thing to come to grips with, but you know, at a certain point you have to, um, you know, again, it sounds all, you know, greeting card like, but you have to be true to yourself at some point. You do. And it's, it's honestly, people consider that to be a cliche, but I think it's just truth. Right. 
And I think it's important for you to admit the the ego side of it, right? Like this is your identity mm. and so many people stay in jobs that yes. cost their lives because they are Joe VP of finance at JP Morgan Chase. You know, they right. are right. um and you know uh Alice uh attorney at law, you know, right? That's 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 what they are. But you know, I think there's that scene in I think it's the movie Across the Universe, that remake with the Beatles music that came out like the mid-2000s, uh, 2005, 2006. Oh, no. I have to watch uh, that, yeah. Have you seen it or no? No, I have not. Oh, it's it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting place. It was like, um, it came out at a weird time, but it's basically this like musical movie based around the Vietnam War using Beatles music to tell a story of like these two people that fall in love, one from... Uh, hmm. Eng- one from England and one from the US and there's this interesting scene in the, in the movie and I saw this when I was very young I think I was like 8 or 9 the first time I saw it and they were arguing it was like a father and son back in the 70s he just graduated from Princeton mm-hmm. he wants to go off and see the world his dad wants to become like a banker or a lawyer or, or something like that right, and he basically right. and someone and, and his uncle goes but but his name is Bobby he goes but Bobby um, what you do defines who you are like he was talking about like the job yeah. you have defines your status. And he goes, no, but yeah. he goes, no, uncle Jim, <laughs> who you are defines what you do. And so, you know, I struggle with the question, what do you do? It's actually my least favorite question to ask. That's why I asked that yeah. question in the frame of like, how would you describe what you're working on now or what you're doing to your eight year yeah. Cause like that's introspective. Yeah. But I mean, when people ask you, what do you do? Do you also have that feeling of like, why do you really, do I really have to answer this question? Um, yeah, I it's that. a it is it is really is tough. Um, there's a a really cool guy Joel Pilger um, who's a Joke. he yeah. came and spoke here at um uh, Bend Design, uh, which is a little conference they have here in Bend, um, and he did this amazing exercise, which was he had everybody stand up and then turn to your you know to your left and introduce yourself to the person next to you and and uh, everybody and he and then he asked the audience, so how many of you introduce yourself with your job title? And almost everybody <laughs> raised their hand yeah. and, uh, you know, and it's, it's really was emblematic of, of how we think about, you know, that the coming from the, the story from the, your, the movie you just described, that really is, um, how, uh, that's how my parents' generation, my grandparents, like that's, mm-hmm. that's how they thought about it's everything. life. You know, you are, you know, if your name was John Blacksmith, that's because you were the blacksmith, right? That's the, that was yeah. how you got that name. <laughs> But it, but it, it's it's true, and and Joel is someone that I haven't met yet, but is someone coming on the podcast at some point soon? He's very hard to lock down because he's just like crazy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Talk about uh, talk about somebody who's always moving. Yeah, he is. Yeah, shaking and breaking. No, it's, it's actually ironic because like um, you know, I'll, I'll out myself. I've actually I've actually personally scheduled this podcast a few times for uh, mostly internet related issues, which is like never an excuse, and I'm always <laughs> sorry for that. But like. <laughs> you know, my building's first response was, "Oh, you can just go up in the common area and record it there." I was like, "Do you do you, uh, do you know? Did no. you not hear? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When I'm recording a podcast, this isn't no. I'm not taking a Zoom call. Um, but 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 going off that, like I, I I think it's fascinating when, you know, I worked for a guy that I'm sure you're familiar with, and I've mentioned him at this podcast enough, named Brian Collins. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and he was one of those people that was like a psychoactive drug for my brain, right? Like he helped Mm. unlock the gates of like, you know, Mm -hmm. I, at the time when I met him and I was working for him, I was within a year out of college 
and I still had all these like shackles of like, this is the path and this is what you should be doing. And he's what you be thinking. And he was just like, none of that exists, you know? Yeah. And I had these, I had these dreams. These <laughs> ideas are real. You know, I had these dreams of like, oh, yeah. this is all dumb anyways. Like it's all in the system and we're all in the main matrix. But he kind of was one of the few people that said, looked at me and said, look, like you can do whatever you want. There are no rules. And if you're not having fun and making a real difference while doing it, if you're not shipping something, if you're not making something that actually adds value, then you're really not doing much. And right. people, some people will say like, well, I don't, can't do anything that adds value. It's like, there's always something someone's interested in. If everyone just spent more time on the hobbies they dream about during work, as I tell people, it's mm -hmm. like, when people ask me like, what should I be doing? It's like, what do you dream about doing when you're doing work you don't want to be doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whether it's building and, Legos uh, or fishing or who knows yep. what, right? Like, go do it. I would ask the question also, like, you know, what he said, uh, you know, if you're not doing something that adds value, um, people, when they hear that phrase, something that adds value, they immediately think of monetary value. And, mm. and that's yeah, not the right way to think about, about it at all. No. If you are a person who enjoys helping old people across the street, that adds value because that old person needed help crossing the street. That's mm -hmm. a huge value. Um, For sure. If you are a person who enjoys working with kids, um, you will. My, my wife's a, a good example of that. She um, is a, a, a classroom assistant at a local elementary school. And um, I can tell you, from it's looking at the paycheck, they don't make any money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. But, you know, she is having a huge impact on uh, special needs kids every single day. Um, mm -hmm. And that adds value to the universe. And, um, you know, I think about, you know, when I was um, coming out of high school and, you know, my um, folks, my, my folks were very much of the you will go to college uh, yeah, mindset. And um, understandably so, you know, um, uh, as a, a black American, you know, there is no there. That was not a thing that most black people did. Um, and I came from uh, now a fifth generation uh, college attendee, um, you know, four yeah, of those generations, right. you actually graduated from college and which is, uh, yeah. again, unheard of. But um, it was one of those things that yeah, it was something I was supposed to do uh, yeah. because the generation. It was your path, me, Rob. It was your path. Yes. <laughs> it was the path that was chosen for me by my parents. And yeah. so um, and if they end up listening to this, uh, I, I, you know, they were doing, you know, I don't resent them for it. That were they no. were doing the thing that that they, they thought was best, thought was probably. right for me. And um, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, uh, college education. So uh, for context, I graduated high school in 1984, mm -hmm. and um, uh, my the very first check I ever wrote uh, in my life was for my college, my first semester of college, and it was four hundred ninety five dollars uh, for the entire for the entire term, a full term at the University of Kansas. Uh, awesome. was four hundred ninety five dollars. Yeah. yeah, it was it was crazy. And so, um, mm -hmm. but that was you could you could go to college and screw around, and it you know it <laughs> it didn't cost you could pay for it with a part time job. Like it didn't yeah. you didn't have to to spend. And then you know uh, fast forward you know uh, a few decades later when I'm teaching at Art Center, which is one of the most expensive schools in the entire world. Yeah, uh, and the kids there are sleeping in class the same way that I slept in class. Uh, you know, at $495. Yeah, yeah, they're doing all the same things that college students do, but they were doing it spending, you know, many tens of thousands of dollars uh, a, uh, yeah, a term to, to do that. And <laughs> it was just, it was, it was crazy. It's like, they're going to come out of school with 100 and, 
$20,000 in debt um, that it's going to take them decades to pay off. Like that's not, that's not a, a a realistic um, pathway for, for most people. And so, um, you know, and my son, my son's 21 now and he's going to the local community college. And um, I, I wanted to make sure that the most important thing for me, for him was to make sure that, that neither he nor I uh, came out of this uh, educational experience with debt. And yeah, smart. Uh, w- if you want to go to college, that's cool. We're mm-hmm. going to figure out how to do it without debt. And he, he was not really a, into college, going to college. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You can go to yeah. community college. You have to do something after high school. So you go to community college. Okay. I can pay for that out of pocket. That costs you know practically nothing. Comparatively. And yeah. he's going to get his associate's degree and then he can decide what he wants to do after that. But the most important thing was we didn't fall into the trap of yeah. um, if you don't go to Princeton, then your life is over kind of thing, yeah. which is that's the people at Princeton need you mm-hmm. to believe that. But sure. it's not true. It just doesn't work. In that the way. world, you know, and and so there's a uh, I used to get many heated debates about this because um, like I grew up in like a blue collar community in no, sorry, that's not a blue. I, what I meant to say is a blue ribbon high school in a hyper white collar community in Massachusetts. Like mm. everyone was wealthy. Mm-hmm. Everyone expected you to go to Harvard or Yale. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was just such a toxic environment to so many people. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. Having known so many people that have gone to Harvard and Yale and Princeton, I got to say school rankings usually matter for jobs that don't, right? Like so many yeah. of these people <laughs> will will, will yeah. waste so much of their time prepping like their young years, they should be playing and being curious, trying to get the best grades, which are all subjective based on the teachers in the school they have to get into right. some kind of institution where they're going to spend $250,000 over four years and a lot of time and stress and anxiety to then go work, what, in investment banking? as a consultant that creates solutions for the world as, as like, yeah. like that's crazy. You know, like the highest paying jobs at a college, for those kids are like consulting banking and occasional. And like, if you're lucky and really special, you get like a really cool startup or like a defense job. Yes. But like even yeah. defense jobs are sucking, you know, yes. life alteringly sucking. Um, yeah. Sorry to go on that little rant there, but I feel so strongly no, about this. Uh, it's a valid <laughs> rant. And it, it, it's very reflective of the, um, the all or nothing environment that the United States has kind of set yeah. up for um, each generation, which was the, the all or nothing proposition was if you don't go to college, then you life is nothing. And, and the reality couldn't be further from the truth. You know, you think about, you talk about it's coming back to the idea of adding value, um, you know, and, and how many, every, every investment banker out there at some point needs a plumber. Um, yeah. And <laughs> when they need that plumber, that plumber yeah. is the most important thing in the world. And that plumber adds value to their life because mm-hmm. they can't flush their toilet. And, uh, yeah. and you know, it's it, that plumber didn't go to college and yeah. yet he adds value to the world. Like that is, Absolutely. that's, it's just so, it's so not, you know. And it's, um, it is beautiful. Like, true. I mean, yeah. here's my thing. I have enjoyed almost every conversation I've ever had with like a carpenter or someone who works their hands all day. Um, and that like, a, like they always interesting. They always have stories. They always seem to enjoy their life or they enjoy the balance life gives them. Like maybe they, maybe they hate building toilets or fixing toilets all day, but they're still making money <laughs> so they can go home at 3 PM and hang out with their wife and kids, you know, like the, it's, and they own their own everything. 
versus like if you talk to an investment banker or a consultant for you know more than five minutes, it's the it's not interesting because they're usually what I've learned is, you know, I'm 28. And so when I go to New York and see my friends, it's inevitable I end up at a place where friends of friends are there from like a Goldman or a PwC. And the first question they ask you is, what do you do? Not because they're curious, because they're trying to measure themselves against you, because they're trying to figure yeah. out like where on the status rungs this person lie. Are they a threat to me? Should I be friends with them? Can I gain from them? Mm-hmm. No. Yes. They don't. They're not interested in like, yeah. what are you working on? You know, so I always try yeah. to ask people like, <laughs> what hobbies do you work on when no one's looking? So people are like, yeah. what do you mean? Like, I, I am like, I, I lift and I, I'm never not working. I, I, you know, I'm never not working. But, and some of these people aren't, and, and they're just so deep in denial that they, you know, they're making 400K a year at 30 years old, but they work 100 hour weeks and they really work on nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nothing. And, I, and I think that that is, that, that mentality is, is shifting. There's definitely a generational shift for, you know, and, and I think, you know, depending on who you ask, it's for better or for worse. Um, there is definitely a generational shift underway of revaluing your time on this planet. And um, it is extremely brief and we only get one. And yes. um, it's so important to, to not be miserable during that time. And I, you know, that's yeah. the, it's, it's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always, I'm always surprised. Um, like, Choosing to be happy is such an important underlooked or overlooked thing, right? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Most of us, not all of us, I, most of us are chemically have the chemical mental ability to be happy. Some of us don't, um, and I'm aware of that, and I've been in situations where that is just mm-hmm. isn't there. But most of us have a choice to be happy. Um, and the problem that most people have with that ideology is that if they're not happy, it's on them, you know? The amount of people mm. that uh, are in relationships they shouldn't be in, are in jobs yeah. they don't enjoy working, are in situations they put themselves in, they don't want to be there, but it's easier to keep that status quo going than to change it, right? And the the first step in lying to anyone else is lying to yourself, right? Yes. And I think that's when I get back to denial, right? I think the most people are yes. in denial, you know? Yeah. Um, no one's ringing against I, you, I, right? <laughs> In, yeah, full disclosure, I was I put myself in a in a space of denial for a decade, you know, telling yeah. myself that you know Rob Garrett, content manager, was this this amazing thing, and you know, granted, and you know, don't get me wrong, I work with the, the people I work with are so cool, and uh, you know, you you know how sometimes you can walk into a room and there's always like you can spot the slackers and the the people like are who are there on mm-hmm. on um. Uh, you know, on, uh, you know, whatever form of, of uh, welfare that they, you know, they got them to that yeah. place. The, there's no, there was none of that. There was not one single person that you would meet at any rung of the organization there, um, both at Linda and at LinkedIn, that was a slacker. Mm. It was crazy. It was, I'd never been around so many high performing people in my yeah. life. And, um, and that has an, a huge eff- effect on you. You, you start to, to, to try and, you know, manage your own um, psychology based on other people's expectations of, of how you're supposed to perform all day. And, and even when you're, you don't feel like performing, you still get up and perform. And, and uh, it's, um, you know, that, that denial is real. Like I was telling myself, I was, 
you know, uh, I was adding value to the world. Granted, you know, Linda, there was, there was a, a gal who used to work there, uh, Tanya. She had a, she was famous for saying, look, we're not making, we're not selling sugar water to kids. Um, we are creating education, <laughs> you know, and, and so granted it was education for profit, but it was still education. And, and uh, it was, it really did add value into the world. Like a lot of people learned how to do a lot of really cool things that helped them through their lives because of the education that we made. Um, however, it was still just a company making things, you know, and, and that's the, you know, at the end, you know, that organization, you, you know, is only as um, important as the, the sum of the mindsets that make up that organization. Mm -hmm. you, once you're not part of that organization, the organization doesn't think about you. And Correct. in fact, the organization doesn't really think about you while you're there either. And, and it probably know, didn't care for most of Yeah. <laughs> so no, I think that point is so important. And it also reminds me that like um, some of the, my favorite, some, some of the best companies I've heard of, and you were not the first person to tell me that LinkedIn is full of people like that. Um, mm -hmm. I always look at who, who is the person responsible for it. And Reed Hoffman is someone that I have such a deep level of respect for. Um, his mm, yeah. podcast masters of scale is fascinating. Like I learned something every time I like managed yeah. to get listened to an episode, but you know, he is just someone that is just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe him in like an overall basis. People that aren't familiar with him, but I would just say like, go look him up, listen to something that he's written or said, but he is just such a, yeah. he's, he's, such a, a he's very, one of those curious thoughtful. people. Yeah. He's very, yeah, so very curious, yeah. very thoughtful. Right. And, mm -hmm. and people will look at LinkedIn and I think LinkedIn gets a bad yeah. rap because it's turned into like the Facebook because people just want to go on there. And rant <laughs> yeah. <about something. laughs> yes. You yeah. know, but, but LinkedIn at the end of the day, like people, people to forget like how many careers LinkedIn has made and how much transparency yeah. LinkedIn has brought to the workplace. Like, do you know how much lying on resumes yes. existed before LinkedIn? What like basically yeah. verified everyone overnight. It's amazing. It really, and um, you know, so at the time of the, the buyout for lynda.com uh, when we got bought by, by LinkedIn. Uh, Jeff Weiner was the CEO of LinkedIn. And he's also another very mm -hmm. ridiculously thoughtful person. And um, I've never seen anybody that like um, that on, <laughs> I guess that's the only way to describe it. Like that dude yeah. is fucking on all the time. Mm -hmm. And it is, and I, I mean that in a good way. Like some people you meet are on and they're, it's very plastic and transparent and he yeah. is on in a, I'm whatever he's doing in that moment. He is fully yeah. engaged in the thing that he's doing in that moment. And he is present, whether it's talking to a person on the elevator or speaking mm -hmm. to 10,000 people in an auditorium, he yeah. is in the moment doing that thing. And it's, it's kind of ridiculous anyway. And so the reason That's I bring awesome. that up is that, um, you know, coming back to the, to the, the high performing nature of that place, like, you know, that's the Reed Hoffman surrounded himself with other thoughtful people who surrounded themselves with other thoughtful people who surrounded yeah. them. Like it, they, they built this organization to, to be thoughtful. And mm -hmm. yet because it's an organization made up of people, at some point it becomes dysfunctional. Like any, any organization is only as functional as the decisions that each individual makes in the moment that they make them. Right. And so at some point somebody's going to do mm -hmm. something stupid and, and bad things happen. And that's how it doesn't matter yeah. what organization that is. And that's the, the lesson to take away from there is not that organizations are bad, but that mm. organizations are a necessary thing we have in this world but they're not the be all and end all of who you are as an individual. Like you yes. are not the organization. You are a different person than 
that dude who works at LinkedIn. And and that's the the thing that's been really eye-opening for me is, you know, um, I, when I introduced myself, I used to tell people, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a content manager. I, you know, they like, they don't know what, nobody knows what that means. Um, yeah. LinkedIn, <laughs> LinkedIn doesn't even know what that means because I keep getting all the wrong <laughs> job recommendations. <laughs> Yeah. But uh but when I would introduce myself to people I would say, "Oh, and I work at LinkedIn." And they go, "Oh, oh, really? Oh, oh my." Yes. Oh, and they, you know, cuz yeah. everybody's seen the blue the Robert's blue square, LinkedIn. right? And yeah, of course. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. It's like um <laughs> now now I don't now I don't work at LinkedIn and um yeah. and so Rob. who am I? Rob yeah, I'm just this dude. Yeah, exactly. The Rob from Bend is much happier than Rob from LinkedIn. Mm. By the way, I'm and, glad uh, to hear that. Yeah, it's um yeah, much much happier. Look, I mean that's the thing is it's if you can strip if I always tell people, imagine you your bank account went to zero, you lost your job, you lost your home and you were you were given the one thing you were allowed to keep was your phone with your connections, right? The people <laughs> that you know, yeah. the the friendships you've made, your family like mm-hmm. that that. Mm-hmm. You keep that and you have mm-hmm. a way to connect them to say it's your iPhone, but everything else you lose. Mm-hmm. It's amazing Every person I talk to that's genuinely happy or is on the right path to finding that will immediately say, that's fine, I'll figure it out. But you, mm-hmm. you, if people start getting nervous or anxious and start fidgeting in their seat thinking about that happening, you know that they, mm-hmm. that's someone who needs that the most. They need that kind of reset. They need to let go, right? Um, you are not what your bank account says. You are not what your title is. You know, you are who you are. And that's hurtful for a lot of people because a lot of people spent their entire lives trying to achieve those two things. They want to be senior vice yeah. president of Midwestern accounting and they have, you know, $8 billion, million in the bank account and they live in a nice house with a boat. But that really yep. doesn't mean anything if you're not happy, you know? Yeah, and so. it, it's, and, and that's the, you know, all of the marketing around the country that we live in is built on this edifice of consumption and and um it's really sad and I, yes it is and it's you know one of the things that as an as an organism the united states needs to come to grips with before it can move on like you know y- you can't you can't change something you can't you don't recognize and correct right we're in this place now where where um each each successive generation tries to recognize it and then their parents beat it out of them Basically, and now we're at this mm-hmm. place where the generate like so. You're old enough to be my son. My son's 21, but had my mm-hmm. wife and I started when we first got married, he my yeah. son would be about three or four years older than you are now. So he'd be like okay. 32. Yeah. Um, but the 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 generation that that you guys represent has an opportunity to change that paradigm, and this is going to be perfect. like I'm going to get on my old man soapbox. I'm going to which is hard to get onto at my name, my age with my knees, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to climb it up on the soapbox. And, uh, but the, the thing that I would, I would say is to question all of the things that, that my generation and earlier have told you about how the world's supposed to work, because a lot of it is bullshit. And it's a lot of it is, are things that, that don't value people. They value money and they value things. And, and, people are so much more important than any of those things. And so you, you guys have an opportunity to change that. And, you know, anytime I, um, when I do get on my old man soapbox and I, I, that's the thing I want to make sure, like change the world because it needs changing. Agreed. And, and I always, something my mom always, you know, 
she never said this verbatim, but I realized what she was saying the entire time. It's always people over places over things. So like when you're trying to spend mm-hmm. money and trying to figure out where to spend your time, spend it with people, then looking mm-hmm. to see new places, then on the things, right? Because most people mm-hmm. in and modern consumption society are things, yes. then places, then people, if, the, if even right. people. Um, right. And like, there are multiple people that I can name drop that I had that have taken a chance on me that basically gave me an opportunity and it involved a financial commitment, whether it was taking a, taking a new job with less pay or it was going to some kind mm-hmm. of conference that was expensive to go to that, that yeah. had a massive phase shift in my entire career. But unless I was willing to take that financial risk, um, then it would have never happened. So I always tell people, I'm always told me, I was like, Hey, you know, like I, should I spend, Two thousand of my last three thousand dollars to my name right now, trying to go to this one single conference in Jackson Hole, hoping that it will help reset some things. And you know, she she said, you know, she she I said very kindly, she's like, "Do you believe in yourself? Do you think this has the way? I think this might be the thing you need." And I was like, "Okay, like, what's the worst thing that happens? I lose some money. I can I can make money back, mm-hmm. right? But like, what if what yes. would I miss here?" And ironically, that one conference created a mental shift in my head twofold at the time mm-hmm. i was in a pretty toxic relationship and it was the beginning of the end so to speak in my head where i was like this needs to end mm-hmm. you know like it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not pushing mm-hmm. me forward and the second thing right. was it basically unlocked that key where it's just like all i have to do is go talk to people that need help because someone is always willing to pay for quality work and if you're someone out there that does quality work in some kind of area someone will happily pay to mm-hmm. do it right yeah and those two things combined i was like okay i know what yep. i'm doing <laughs> you know um it is really it's such a it's such a very it's a very difficult thing to to um, you know to push yourself you know you we all all of us are standing you know either on a ledge or a precipice or uh you know mm-hmm. uh teetering on some sort of you know balance point between you know uh who we think we ought to be and who we want to be and like all yep. these things add up to you know, and again, it's, you know, this sounds all a Hallmark Cardi, but <laughs> in order to, I'm with you it. won't actually find out, you won't actually find out who you are until you let go of those things. And for me, for me personally, it was, I needed to let go of the, the job that I had that was mm-hmm. really making me unhappy. Like I was, I was not mm-hmm. happy. I was making a ton of money. Um, and I work with a lot of really nice people and, um, you know, it didn't, you know, it was, yeah. it, it, uh, scanned well at parties and stuff, but, but I wasn't happy doing it. And, um, no. I needed to, I needed to change that. Yeah. Um, question. Did you ever, when you were growing up, did you ever work like uh part-time hourly wage jobs, like restaurant or mm-hmm. retail or. Yeah. So I worked so as I, a, a bus boy and you know, that sort of thing. Awesome. Where did you grow up for just for context? Uh, all over. My dad was in the military, and so um, cool. I went to three elementary schools. I went to junior mm-hmm. high school in a in another country in Germany, and then mm-hmm. I went to three high schools and two colleges. So I was all over the damn place. Were you at Ramst- Ramstein, Ramstein when you were in Germany? Or uh, no, we were at a little town, a little town called Schweinfurt, which is like if you're looking at a map of Germany, you like you yeah. find Frankfurt on the map and kind of go down mm-hmm. to the right, and it's uh, <laughs> okay. down to the right from Frankfurt. And I was wondering what would base your your parent um, was was, yeah. was like associated with over there, was it? Yeah, that was it. It was Schweinfurt, which okay, was a Schweinfurt. it was yeah. a, a tank battalion uh, oh, post. Okay. And then just to for elementary school, junior high, where what states were you in for those? Just to kind of predict. Uh, so I I was born in Maryland, 
mm-hmm. and then can, so I'll just kind of go through the run through the timeline. So it was born in Maryland and then Kentucky um, okay. and then uh, you know, so at Fort Knox and then um, uh, and then California for a while. Um, and uh, sorry, Fort Knox and then um, uh, California, then back to um, to Kansas and then back to California and then to Germany um, and then back to the states and lived in Virginia and then Louisiana, then Kansas again and yeah, then uh, California. So yeah, it was it was sorry that was a long no a it's long good. Chain. It's, 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 I, I asked for it right and and the reason yeah. why I ask you um, it, it going off of this is so you now live in Bend, Oregon, and for people that yes. have never been to Oregon. Oregon is like basically like a temperate rainforest with lots of pretty mountains, but there's also plenty of farmland and different people from all walks of life. You have people in Eastern Oregon are what you imagine is like country Western and people in Portland are like as liberal as they come. Right. Um, And Bend is this fun city kind of nestled in the beautiful Deschutes river area. Um, I don't know. I, am, I, am I giving it justice? Like, I want you to add color to my description of what Bend is for people that yeah, haven't that's, been there. Yeah, that's, that's it. I, you know, I, I would, the one thing I would counter is that it doesn't have people from all walks of life here. That's one of the, the probably the biggest challenges of being a, being in Oregon is mm-hmm. that it, it is, it's a very, um, um, in some respects, Oregon is a microcosm of the United States. Um, mm-hmm. Oregon, uh, Portland is a very blue place, and mm-hmm. um, Eugene, Salem, um, the big cities tend to be very blue. Everything outside yeah. the big cities is super red, not just red, but Dark super red. red. Yeah, red. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Vibrant mm-hmm. blood red. Oh guys, mm-hmm. terrifying yep. red. I've driven through there. Yep. So much red. So, um, the, <laughs> but it's also, it's also, you know, one of the, I think it's one of the top, you know, one or two whitest places in the entire country. And, um, it is, yep. it is uh, it's, Shocking, and I, I I knew that walking in the door, um, like statistically, I understood you know what I was walking into. I didn't understand what I was walking into, um, psychologically. Like I didn't, mm. you know, I was coming from Los Angeles, which is, um, this bizarre melting pot that has the illusion of I call it the illusion of collusion, um, yes. down there. It's really a <laughs> yeah, very segregated, it's not really very segregated. Yeah, it's a very segregated city, but it but it puts on a a good face. Yeah. And uh, and then I was coming to some to to Central Oregon where it's they don't even have to think about it here because there's there just aren't any there was nothing like I think at the time we moved here and it's changed a lot in this in the almost eight years that we've been here now mm-hmm. um, but I think there was um, uh, the black population in Oregon was uh, in in Bend in particular sorry um, was um, less than one percent of the population at the time I moved here was just, you know, like, again, I didn't really understand, like I knew it numerically, but I didn't understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. And what it means, what it actually means is that every place you go, people stare at you. Um, Whether or not they're staring maliciously or they're just staring out of curiosity, they stare because they, you might be the only colored person that they see all day, all week, all month, because they just don't have contact with them. And it's, it's a bizarre thing to think about. And, you know, this, you know, everyone's the people sell America as this big melting pot. It's mm. only a melting pot in very specific locations and other you know, places like yeah. Bend. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, coming back to the, your description of central Oregon, 
um, I forgot what you you were. We were going someplace with that. Yeah, no. So, so I was just curious, like what the, what drew you to Bent of all places, especially from LA? Because they're very different places. Yeah, <laughs> very. Yeah, it's it's skiing and mountain biking. I uh, I love, love both of those things, and um, and uh, that and I I wanted my son <laughs> to 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 love both of those things, and so um, you know, we would always go. You know, I got him on skis when he was um uh seven or eight. I got him on a bike when he was mm-hmm. six. And yep. um and so we but we just couldn't afford to do it very often down in LA. We would go, you know, to Mammoth oh, it's crazy. You know, once a year if we were lucky for a weekend and because you yeah. know it just cost so damn much. And so um Yeah, for people yeah, who don't, that, don't understand to interject with you, it's like going skiing from LA, you're competing with everyone else from LA that wants to go skiing and therefore yes. like a direct flight to Aspen on American is $2,000 round trip for like a cram seat in the back. And you're lucky if you can get out for under a thousand dollars a night in a hotel. Like it's not, yes. it's not accessible versus in Oregon. Yeah. Like you can just drive up to a place and backcountry ski if you want to, mm-hmm. you know, you can, yeah. and same thing in Washington, right? Like we're, we're blessed yeah. in this area of the world of this untapped nature. And you know, I was, someone asked you recently, like, cause I used to live in New York and I love New York city. Yeah. And most of my family's there. And I think that city wise, culture wise, no city will ever match it for me. But people are asking, like, mm. well, Rob, why'd you why'd you move to Seattle? And I was like, well, Seattle gives me that direct city kind of infusion I need, where yes. you things feel alive. I have access to things. I can I can. It's run a proper city. Things. It's it's a proper yeah. city, but mm-hmm. there are very few cities that exist in the world where you can be walking in forty five degree weather downtown with a light mm-hmm. jacket on, enjoying the sun. And then drive 35 minutes up in the mountains and be skiing and two feet of fresh yeah. powder. There are very yeah, yeah. few places. And they're all on the west coast of the United States and Canada. It's in BC. It's in Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's in Washington. Mm-hmm. And you know this as well yeah. as I do, right? It's like it's this natural playland combined with this really fascinating cultural. Like Seattle and Oregon. Sorry, Seattle and Portland are like culturally very interesting. You know, like mm-hmm. there's there people always say like, oh, keep Portland weird. You know, keep Seattle. Weird. Yeah, and it's true. Like, there, like yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not a normal, typical city. It's like definitely has its quirks. But like, you know, yeah. with that, I think I look at myself in the future, and and I think the place I'll end up is some kind of smaller town, like a Bend, um, that has a lot of access to things that people would want. Where there's like a vibrant arts community, um, mm-hmm. there is access to education, information, but there's also like you know, you're surrounded by some of the most pristine wilderness left in the United States, you know? Yeah. Um, you're surrounded by that's so much. That's the thing that uh, has been interesting about moving here to Bend. So coming from, from uh, North Hollywood, where we lived before mm-hmm. for a long time, uh, we were in our house in North Hollywood for 17 years and then, and then cashed out and, and came up here um, in 2015. And um, the, the 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 thing I never wanted my son I want I never wanted for my son I was in it I didn't want him to be disconnected from the outside world and that's in Los Angeles that's you are disconnected I mean you know, granted L A is a, has some very unique places that you can go right in the middle of it like Griffith Park for example totally which is a Beautiful. a wonderful place yeah it's a and you know it's this this um you know really oasis in the middle of just urban chaos um but that's it it's a tiny little place and um Mm -hmm. and you know to for us to go on a mountain bike ride and for him to get to go you know someplace where he wouldn't get you know where there wouldn't be cars everywhere 
um, you know, it was, we had to get in the car and drive for an hour to an hour and a half yeah. to get to a mountain bike ride. And yeah, now we can ride from That's our house amazing. to the, to yeah. a trail and, um, which is amazing. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So that was the thing. Like we, we, we extracted ourselves from Los Angeles, um, really forcibly. But the thing that enabled that was this job that I ended, that I ended up hating, like coming back full circle, like yep. this job, you know, provided so much for me. It provided a, an amazing salary. I met so many amazing people. Um, it got me out of Los Angeles, but even all of those things weren't worth the daily grind and the daily yep. psychological crush of the, of the conveyor belt that I'd put myself on. Hmm. I, I really like the way that and the language you use around that. Um, and, and I think that one thing I've realized as I get, as I get older, right. From uh, being 28, mm -hmm. I think I really, you know, I catch myself, you know, what is that thing I catch myself dreaming about? It's spending more time yeah. outside, you know, yeah. um, and especially in remote places. And so I basically took up until about a month ago, about an 18, mm -hmm. no, longer than that 20 month swath of time where I just nice. traveled. Um, I was still working. Like I, I, I basically, mm -hmm. I was, I decided to take on enough projects to basically yeah. pay the bills and pay for travel and, and then have some on top of that. Right. Yeah. Um, could I have done more? Absolutely. And so people looked at me like, oh, you're in your quote unquote prime years, like 26, 27, 28, you should be doing X, Y, Z. But, <laughs> but the thing is, is like yeah. the companies and the ideas and the things that I've done that have come out of that period are way mm -hmm. more long-term, not only successful for my, what I want to achieve, but also I've learned more than I could from any other job, you know, um, just this yes. podcast and the magazine alone, right? Like yeah. that's, that's all been me. It's, it's come off of that. Like there's no team, yeah. it's just me. You know, and that's and that's something that people looked at me like I was I was like, yeah, I want to make a magazine. They're like, oh, like digital. I'm like, no, just print only. And they're like, you're crazy. Okay, <laughs> what? Let's, well, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's see if I can do it. You know, it's like and I wasn't I'm not trying to prove anyone wrong. I'm, I'm just trying to prove to yeah. myself that. I have an idea and I want to see it through. And yeah, I think nowadays, like I've done that with digital products. I've done that with making videos or, you know, I've been mm -hmm. in photography. Those are easy to ship and you can ship it. You can edit. You can ship it. You can edit. But like. The process of making something refined that is printed once yeah. that yeah. you cannot have mistakes <laughs> and there's thousands of copies of them. Yeah. That's yeah. terrifying. Um, it really especially is. Especially when I'm bankrolling it all myself, right? Like when like this yeah. is my own money I'm investing. And if it fails, like that's money that I could have used for something else. But I don't play that should have would have got it. I that was that was a that was a tangent. I apologize. So going back to No, that's uh, okay. Um well, going back the thing to, I would say is sorry. Oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, please. Well, and I, I'd say the 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 learning process that you go through when you take on a challenge like that is mm -hmm. um, never wasted, right? If Correct. if you're willing to hear the lessons and see the lessons and experience mm -hmm. the lessons, <clears throat> whether or not the magazine succeeds or fails, yeah, it will still be a lesson. And um, yeah, the if if the magazine succeeds, you're going to learn something. If the magazine fails, you will learn something as well and i think that that's the 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 big takeaway and that's you know if you know i, I think about my my own son like i you know i just i want him to try stuff and not be afraid to try things and that was the you know i didn't want him to get stuck in one thing and to 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 yeah. put him in a box that you know that uh, of a box of my making for him like mm -hmm. that that's not what i wanted i wanted him to have his own <laughs> i wanted him to have his own box yeah, and 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 creating that 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 box, 
I, I love that ideology of like creating this sandbox or cardboard box or even giving him yeah. in this case like a cardboard box to go build something with as a kid, right? Um, yeah. Uh, that understanding what you like and what you love and diving deeper into that and, and combining that idea with Bend, um, I know you're very involved with the Deschutes Land Trust. Do you want to talk about that and what got you involved with that and what it means to you? Yeah, it's um, something, and that's you talk about things that you never imagined doing. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm I'm on the board of directors for the Deschutes Land Trust, which is one of those stuffy title things that you know people mm-hmm. like. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's I never from the board of directors. Come on, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, you know the so um, for context, the Deschutes Land Trust um, protects and preserves uh, natural land here in Central Oregon. Um, uh, with an emphasis on watersheds and um, and forests, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it is uh, such a critical, especially so. Um, again, for context, um, the way that Oregon um, is sort of built in quotation marks that we've got um, in the upper left hand corner, you've got Portland, um, mm-hmm. and then you've got you know, coming down in a straight line from Portland, you've got um, uh, Salem and then Eugene. Um, and then um, I'm spacing on the other two cities, but most of the population of Oregon is on that side of the mountains, just to Medford the to the running. Side? What's that? Is Medford Sorry, part of the other side? Medford. Yeah, Medford's on the other side. Yeah, Medford's over there in in that line, all along the five freeway basically. So the five mm-hmm. freeway yeah. runs up the the western side of the state. Um, when you're coming north on the five freeway, to the right of that is the are the Cascade Mountains, and that runs right up the middle. And the Cascades divide the state in half, basically. And on the eastern half, the the western half of the of the Cascades is where all of that temperate rainforest and farmland is. And on the eastern side, it's basically high desert on that yep. side of the the land. And um, it's under tremendous growth pressure right now. And uh, there is a lot of um, uh, population surging here. Um, you know, Bend, um, for context, again. Um, it, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Ben's population was, um, uh, I think something like 50,000, um, yeah. people. And now we're at like 110,000. So, you know, we've That's grown crazy. so much, but once you get outside of Ben, there's nobody here. Like, it's just, it's crazy how sparsely populated this area is. Um, mm-hmm. but that is under tremendous development pressure. Um, and, uh, the trust is working hard, uh, in conjunction with a lot of other organizations to preserve, the important parts and important pieces of land that are key ecosystem um, components for uh, the natural world here in central Oregon. And um, Mm. it's um, such an important um, thing to do in the face of all of this developmental pressure to try and, and set aside these spaces that can be refuges for, um, for fish and wildlife and, and places where water can cleanse, can cleanse naturally by you know the way that nature intended it to <laughs> yeah it's Let nature it's, do its, it's really amazing yeah exactly and so anyway so i was a long-winded way of saying that mm-hmm. i never imagined myself being part of an organization like this and it was really coming here and also getting to an age where i could um uh start to think about that sort of thing um this is something i started doing even before i left my my role at linkedin um, because I knew I wanted, I, I was looking for meaning really. And I wanted to become part of something that was 
uh, coming back full circle to our conversation earlier, which is mm-hmm. adding value to the world. Um, preserving natural lands adds value to the world. Yes, and so, agreed. Um, that is that was really yeah. the the thing that I was looking for. Yeah, and and, I, and I've I've been digging more and more into different land trusts that exist, and there's so many fascinating ones out there, and there are ones like the shoots, yeah. which I understand is very much neutral trying to do the best they can to preserve but i almost like there there's this one i forget the name and i'll look, i'll google it and i i'll put it in the show notes below for those of you who mm-hmm. this is your first time listening to this podcast i place show notes below and anyone can see everything <laughs> we mentioned is is hyperlinks to save yourself some time from trying to figure out what i'm saying when i'm mumbling through different things um but there's this one organization that's almost like chaotic good uh when it comes to land trust and what they'll do is they'll find a massive plot of land and they'll buy up like checkerboard style plots so someone couldn't come in and develop it or they'll buy up Mm. like just enough and they'll shave off an area so the remaining plots are don't qualify to become like a waste site or like a golf course Mm. or like something Mm -hmm. and they basically Mm -hmm. just destroy the potential for development and places that are still wild or were were like reclaimed by the wild and i i love that idea (laughs) of like okay they're, they're they're doing it for a good reason right but the way they're going about it is kind of like you know this uh, this aggro uh, guerrilla warfare sort of thing. Yeah, like, but which they're not breaking that any laws. Is, no, no, they're they're actually working within the the constraints of a a system. A system, you know, yeah. and, and that's the that the Deceit Land Trust is not that thing. Um, no, we're very know. much uh, working with working with the existing landholders Calm to good. preserve. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly, and we take a very neutral stance on on um, a lot of these. Uh, excuse me, a lot of these um, issues. And, but the, I think there's room at that table for a lot of those because, um, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, all of those organizations are, um, whether or not they're, they're more aggressive in, in, or liturgist, is that the right word? Um, litigating yeah. uh, organizations or the more, it's a weird word. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, something that's um, as, um, uh, as you know, really neutral as the land trust is the Deutsch land trust. Um, they all provide. Uh, you know, all of us are working towards essentially the same thing, which is to preserve land for future generations. And so that we, it, you know, I think if you were to ask people um, from, uh, sorry, my um, I'm getting distracted. My cat is uh, at the door trying to get out of my office here. Um, but uh, the, you know. If you ask anybody, so again, coming back context, Bend is a, a very much a purple place that's made up of a lot of people from a lot of different places. Uh, mostly, well, I would say, you know, there's a lot of Washingtonians, a lot of Portland, and a lot of Californians here. Um, mm-hmm. And if you ask any of those people, um, do they would they want Bend to turn into Los Angeles? So would they want Bend to turn into Portland? Would they want Bend to turn into Seattle? They would all say no. Um, however... Yeah. Everybody wants to have a cheap single family home and everybody mm-hmm. wants to to drive to work and everybody wants to to do all these things that um, that add up to Los Angeles and that add up to Seattle and add up to Phoenix, Arizona. Like all of those things add up to the typical American city, which is this massive bloated footprint based on car travel. Mm-hmm. And, and that's in it, you know, for sure. Um, all, you know, all and of I those organizations. Know if you could think you could qualify. Uh, sorry. Continue. Yeah. Hello? Oop, yes, sir. We had a I think we had a hiccup there. It's all good. All good. No problem. 
continue, please. Sorry. Um, no, I think that all of those, all of those things add up to the typical American city and, and organizations, whether it's the disputes land trust or the, the, the organization that you described are, are working towards the same thing, which is to, to break up the mindset of, of, um, what it means to exist alongside of nature. Cause right now it, it, there is no, you know, the typical American mindset is not to exist alongside of nature. It's to either, it's either farms or cities and there's no middle ground or, or a national park and that's it. And, and mm -hmm. really what we're trying to do is to, to um, change that thinking and to say, okay, there's, we need to have these natural spaces um, intertwined with our existing living arrangements to help, us as a people restore ourselves and to help nature restore itself and um it's it's uh again you know coming back to that to that value question it's it's mm -hmm. such an important thing to do yeah and and, and sorry for interrupting you there but what i, what I was gonna what i was saying and i think we had a cut out in audio um uh was you know i wouldn't even call la a city anymore it's more like this just swath of urbanization and <laughs> yeah, other yes. things Phoenix it's like a hundred like cities. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went to school in Northern Arizona. Um, and whenever mm -hmm. I went to Phoenix, I, I never liked Phoenix. It's like, I don't like the heat, the heat, like that kind of hot Arizona heat. Part one, yeah. part two, yeah. it's this hundred mile by hundred mile swath of strip malls. Mm -hmm. Like it's my literal worst nightmare. Like there yeah. is just the same and same. And it's just cars everywhere. Like there are many streets that just don't even have sidewalks. Like if you want to walk yeah. somewhere, you like, oh, you just can't walk there. Uh, how do you get there? Oh, you take a car. It's like, yeah. that's terrible. <laughs> yes. I, I get it's 120 degrees outside, but maybe I want to walk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, it really is. Yeah. That's such a, that's such an American thing though, you know? And um, uh, Bend is actually um, one of those places that is built on the car model. Um, and we're struggling right now with that. And that's, it's become hmm. a, a really contentious point, uh, from an urban development and, and public really? policy standpoint. Yeah. It's, um, Bend is not a, 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 a pedestrian or bike friendly place. Um, but it wants to market itself that way. And, and the, the challenge is hmm. that, um, it's a, it really is a car, a car centric place. And, you know, and that's, I, I say that not to, to denigrate Bend, it's, it's an, it's an, in, it's an American city, you know, and that's the, yeah. and American cities are built around cars. And, and so, um, for you to expect something different when you come to Bend is a little bit, you know, silly because it just isn't, huh. it's not built that way. I'm actually very surprised that Bend is not bike friendly. Like uh, to me, it's, I've just knowing I've been, I've been to Bend once for one night driving through, I need to spend more time there. Um, but as like a cyclist myself, I used to like race mountain bikes. Like I, I know mm -hmm. people live, live there. They're also race mountain bikes and other yes. cyclists. I'd be surprised. I'm surprised. It's an amazing that. place to have a, a an eight thousand dollar mountain bike and throw it in the back of your forty thousand dollar truck and drive out to yeah. the to the to Phil's trail and and ride. Yeah. Um, it's not an amazing place to ride your bike to the store, and that's the yeah. that's the difference. It's, Understood. Um, there's. Lots and lots of people that spend lots of time outside, but they they don't spend their time commuting. Oops! Can you hear the cat? Hang yeah, on, a second. let me let me let me uh, go yeah, let him I'll out because he's gonna he's only gonna Please get louder. <laughs> yeah. Although as much as I kind of want to have the cat chat on here, I know he's uh, Rob's away from his microphone, um, so I'm gonna fill the dead space because as you guys know, I don't I don't edit down these podcasts. I like keeping them as 
as natural as they are unless someone says something. Okay, sorry about that. Very bad. You're good. I was just telling people and filling the air that like I refuse to edit down podcasts. Some people would like blip out that part and make it like quote unquote <laughs> professional, but like I love the raw recording. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if I delete something and if and if I remove a part, I always say like, hey, this is removed because of this, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes like, ooh, they said something that they actually couldn't have said. It was like privileged information from their company. Oh, or, like, right, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the kind yeah. of stuff. I'm, I'm happy to remove, but like, I also have like, hey, you know, this is this. There's a there's a skip here because I don't want I don't want people to feel like I'm. Most importantly, it's not because I don't want people to think that I'm redacting something, but more importantly, I don't think, yeah. I don't want people to think that I would ever rearrange words to to, to create a narrative. You know, sure, sure. Because it's amazing how in modern day, like you'll see, we'll see a video on Twitter, and they'll snip <laughs> out the beginning and the end, yeah. and immediately it it portrays one thing, but you miss the you miss the other thing, regardless of yes. how verbose the video is. Yep, you yep. know that context is everything. You know, there was a video going around the other day of a um a black man who smacked this other dude in the face in a gas station, and it was some mm. Republican pundit who just had that one clip of the guy hitting him uh, mm. like like the black man hitting the white guy at the gas station and that was the only mm -hmm. clip that was being shown and then someone was played the full video and the the this guy who happened to be white was yelling and screaming racial slurs and punching this dude and of course mm. what they want to show you is the one time he hit back right yeah. and that, because that changes the entire situation i know that's a pretty violent example but like it's happening more and more and i think i guess i guess i, I have a question for you in this is as someone who works in motion content I know you are more on the graphics and creation side, but you're, you're, it's it's still on the same stream. Like I'm a video editor as well, so yeah, yeah, exactly, and for sure. But like, what what can we do as society to ensure that people understand that? You know, I believe information, even the most scary information, is always the best thing. Like, always give people the most amount of information you can give, right? And yeah. I just don't know what to do anymore in some cases. I, I think I think you'll change that when you have kids. Um, mm. Okay. The one the the challenge is is literacy um and hmm. and media literacy in in particular is is something that um is often discouraged in people and and it's it's a, such an important thing to understand um what you're looking at and and that you know most likely you know and even if you're you know you know coming back to my to my old man soapbox again you know back in my day mm -hmm. Um, there was only three stations. It was ABC, NBC, and CBS. And then, yeah. um, you know, and then along came this thing called CNN. And um, yeah, it was such a watershed moment. And I don't think anybody really understood the societal implications that 24-hour news would have on our psychology, yeah. um, on the the soul of the the country, of the world, really. Um, when you suddenly have 24 hours to fill. You're gonna fill it with, with something, and you're desperate to fill it with something because you're mm -hmm. desperate for people not to change the channel, and um, it is, it's, yeah, it's a terrible, it's, it's a, yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, get, you're gonna get Rob all fired up and and, and, I'm and stuff, but Rob's not yeah. trying to fire up Rob by firing up Rob. Yeah, so yes, that's, that's uh, <laughs> it's pretty meta. Um, <laughs> last thing I'll say is, is, uh, there's someone to look up to named Naval Ravikant and he has a lot of very interesting things to say, but what he says about news is, uh, you know, human beings aren't, aren't evolved to be able to handle like the worst thing happening every single second of the day. No, it's not I, how it's, we were evolved, evolved. No, <laughs> yeah. 
um and it's terrifying 20 to like, 20 to 40 people it was our max right you know that was our yeah that was our little village that was you know and maybe then maybe we might know one person from the next village over that was it and you couldn't like that was we existed that way for tens of thousands of years and and suddenly now we know everything going on everywhere all the time yeah. and it's just it's mm -hmm. it's not possible to process it yeah, and and so as much as I I agree, I'll redact my current statement. I believe in all information <laughs> is good, but I don't believe that everyone always needs to know all information, right? Yeah. If it's something that's uh, life changing, like oh, the water supply in this state is causing cancer, we should stop that. That's information, like oh, don't mm -hmm. tell them they're all going to die anyways. Like that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. But if it's just yeah. like, yeah. Look, I mean, take what happened in the NFL game the other night. Like I was watching Monday Night Football with my girlfriend, who's a Bills fan, mm -hmm. and there was this young man who. Uh, in a freak accident, his, his heart stopped during play. And it was a very, oh, uh, I don't know if you've, yeah. So like what happened was um, they believe what it was, was um, I can't pronounce it. It was like cor cor choroidocoritis off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Basically this idea where like, if you have a very sharp blow to the heart area at just the right moment, electrical cycle, it can actually cause Whoa. feet hacker V fib. And wow. so he there's this hard hit he stands up for about one second then just falls, just over. falls over and oh, he's awful. not conscious no heartbeat so there's wow. basically this football game with you know this is monday night football against mm -hmm. two of the top teams in the country probably mm -hmm. you know six to seven million people watching and here's this guy getting cpr and aed in the middle of a football field obviously wow. he was being surrounded by players and you couldn't see what was going on but like yeah. they were players openly crying and grieving and yeah, you know, yeah. as of right now, luckily, his name is um, Damar Hamlin. He is mm. uh, in the ICU, back to partially breathing on his own ability. Wow. You know, like oh, people say, wow. if, if you if you can't collapse in the middle of an ER, uh, an NFL field is pretty close to that, right? Because you have yeah, exactly. There's you know, a lot so of much medical medical staff. There. Yeah, <laughs> and and luckily, like there are many scenarios that happens where people die. Um, mm -hmm. and it was a good reminder. Actually, the one of the people that commented about it, there was this hockey player. I don't remember his name, but it happened to him. Um, I think like 20 years ago and mm -hmm. it was like a puck to the chest, the right point. And he wow. was luckily people were able to start CPR right then and there, um, Jeez. and saved his life, you know? And that's, and that's something where I'm saying like, the reason why I bring this up is like, I felt a lot of emotions I hadn't felt in a very long time. You know, mm -hmm. like it's some, it's very harrowing to see that. I've seen that happen in real life. I've been unfortunate mm -hmm. to to witness someone collapse and not make it in front of my mm -hmm. in front of my eyes, and that's something I do not wish yeah. uh, on my worst enemy, right? No, like no. watching someone lose their own life is is something that I don't want anyone else to see. And I think yeah. that with the news is is really hard because like I felt for the ESPN commentators because they had to fill the air; they couldn't just leave yeah. it blank. Yeah, and we can't. Yeah, we have to, to say talk something. about it. Mm -hmm. Yes, but, but but you could tell they didn't want to be there. You could tell they mm -hmm. all they wanted to do was leave that room and just grieve yes. themselves. You know, because yeah, yeah. at that time, we all a lot of us thought he was dead. You know, we mm -hmm. we didn't know what was going on, and he very very well could have died. And and the thing about me is like I had heart issues in the past that stopped me from racing mm -hmm. that have been fixed, but still like that's a lot of anxiety and trauma and things that yeah. like I didn't really face in a while. And this idea that yeah. knowing what that's feelings like, where you might have this episodic thing that could mm -hmm. take you out is terrifying, you know? Really and to someone is. who was probably at a young age playing in a second year or third year in the NFL, playing in probably the biggest game of his young career, mm -hmm. um, you know? Working his life, whole life towards that earlier. moment. Yeah. For sure. But, you know, as you yeah. said, like, a lot of us take life for granted. 
right? Mm-hmm. And as you and I believe, as we talked about, we have one shot at this, right? Yeah. And so we have to, you know, do the best we can. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm glad it happened, but I'm glad I was watching the NFL game because I don't watch that many of them anymore. Um, yeah. Because it was amazing to see what happened in terms of people rallying around him. Like the entire stadium yeah. was clapping. Their opposing fans were going to the hospital where he was staying and holding candlelight vigils overnight. You know, and also the the process of modern medicine. The fact that yeah. someone's heart literally stopped or entered yeah. into a rhythm that would normally kill them, and they were able with portable technology in the middle of turf in the middle of a field designed for yeah. playing football, bring <laughs> someone back to life. Like that know, is amazing. Yeah, it really uh, is I'm amazing. Sorry, that was and a tangent, but <laughs> no, it's and I you know I think you know coming back to um to uh, how we spend our our days and how we spend our time like that's uh is a really potent reminder to maximize your uh mm-hmm. your activities and maximize your your um your day-to-day towards the things that you that bring you joy and that that make you happy and um yeah you know it, it because you know my wife uh my father-in-law would always he's he's gone now but uh uh, he would always say, you know, tomorrow's never promised. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if I should go today, just know that I love you. And, uh, and that, you know, it's, it's such a, it was one of those things that, you know, you don't really think about, um, because he, you know, he would say it all the time and, and, uh, and yeah. then of course one day he's not there. And, um, and that's, that's the, incredible actually, you know, yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Yes. He was, he was remarkably consistent about that. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, um, you know, an amazing thing. And, you know, he was, yeah. you know, but it, 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 again, as you start to advance in age, which I, mm-hmm. I am, I'm rapidly advancing in age right, right before your eyes. An hour out um, of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as, as you advance in age, it's something that comes to, you start to think about more and more. And I think that's, a big component of uh, coming back full circle to the discussion about adding value and like where I am in my life and you know, how I got to this place of, of leaving the, the thing that supposedly defined me. Um, it all comes down to, um, to the idea that I don't have a lot of time left and um, yeah. you know, you have to maximize the, the time that you have. Otherwise, what else are you doing? I couldn't have said better by myself. Um, and going back to my point about denial, I think most human beings are in denial of that one day they're not going to be here. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my <laughs> so, knees will not let me forget that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I, and I, and going, looping back to the first thing we talked about, I'm really, I'm really actually curious to see uh, your own research in cryotherapy and, and, and with your, you know, knees and back. Cause I've had friends and who, you know, people who are former athletes who at your age just had to like needed knee replacements basically. Yes. Um, uh, just, uh, I also people that have had total knees and I've heard that they're great. So, you know, that's another, yeah. that's another route. Um, but <laughs> yeah, um, to kind of wrap this up and, and get you out of here, um, on time, uh, I'm going to run you through a series of rapid fire questions. Um, mm, okay. That, Ooh. uh, you can answer in as many or few words as you'd like. Um, uh, the first one is the most cliche. And which is, uh, <laughs> if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, uh, mm-hmm. what problem would you try and solve? 
uh, I would spread it around on several different problems. Right here in Central Oregon, I would buy the uh, Skyline Forest, which is a, a an area of fifty thousand acres just to the mm. west of Bend, that's uh, on the verge. That's that that could be developed uh, into a variety of things that are not forest anymore. Um, mm. I would uh, invest in bicycle infrastructure. Uh, right here locally and turn Bend into a model of uh, personal transportation um, in the hopes that that idea would spread uh, <laughs> yeah, around sure. to other to other cities. Um, I would try to do things like that. Mm, I love that. And and I think that with, with that kind of plan, you'd be amazed at, at least on a local municipal level, like how many cities would match you if you're saying like, mm -hmm. hey, I'm willing to donate, uh, you know, $4 million for you to redo and add bike lanes everywhere, they might be like, mm -hmm. okay, we had funding, we were setting aside for that, we'd love to also yes. throw in the pot, so to speak. Yes. Um, because I, I've, I've always luckily been in, like Seattle has become very bike friendly, like there are bike paths everywhere, and there are two types yeah. of bike paths. There are the ones that are good for getting from A to B, and there are ones where you just wanna go to Z. Just go. You know, yeah. like get, get lost and just go for 40 miles into the mountains, which is- Yeah, that's nice. Like, so underrated, um, <laughs> especially for young so kids important. without yeah. cars. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Um, the only problem is those then become concentrated with people who aren't biking and then they distract from the biking. So either like slow down or, you mm -hmm. know, people are doing things they should, you know, I'm not going to go on a rant. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I love that. Wait, love wait that. how old are you? <laughs> it was, that was an old man rant coming on. <laughs> old man's, uh, well, look, I mean, look, my whole thing is like when I'm at speed, you know this, when you're at speed on a bike and you yeah. have so much energy to get there. The last thing you want to do is touch your brakes. You don't have to. You know? <laughs> the last thing you want to do. That's the old man to me. Uh, quote, unquote. Um, is, is there a story that your family or friends like to tell about you? Uh, that's a good question. I am famous for rants. So that it would probably be <laughs> really I, like you? I, no. Yeah, I know, right? It's uh yeah, they it would probably be uh it, it would be a story about me not ranting. Like, wait, I thought you were going to totally rant right now. You mean you're not going to do it? <laughs> yeah. Is there any particular area that particularly triggers your ranting? Um yeah. Um America. Yeah, yeah I'm understood. not a fan. Of America. You can leave it there if you want. I think most yeah, people I, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. I'll, I'll, there's so many I'll, components. I'll there's, you have you yeah, like, no, there's a there's a, a whole variety of components. It's not just one thing. It's a whole series of of things that add up to America, and uh, yeah, that's where Understood. I would yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> oh, I I mean I people I deleted all news apps on my phone about two and a half, three years ago. And people yeah. always ask me why. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I'm tempted to delete Twitter right now, to be honest. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's, it's another, it's just, it's unhinged. And I, here's the thing. I learn a lot from Twitter on, from just the thinking and the int intimate thoughts of people I look up to. But for every time I see one of those, I also see nine things that distract me from what I'm trying to do or create mm -hmm. some kind of new rant. Right. And that's yes. The problem. <laughs> so yeah but that's that's life though i mean i can't yeah I, I mean i think there's a lot of money for someone who is able to build an algorithm and deliver like tweets to people and they just get like this this thing okay this is what i'm interested in this is what i want to see i want to see people against it i want to see people for it i want to get different ideas and different uh, schools of thought but i don't i don't care about kim kardashian's new boob job i care about you know, 
what's happening with pod schools in the greater SF mm-hmm. area. Maybe it's mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that's, I think the, I think you, Twitter is trying to do that with, you know, their new leadership of like, you can create your own mini timelines and side timelines that focus on one thing. And I think that that is getting away from the Instagram explore page where it's just this death scroll of yeah. TikTok eternity and real eternity. Ooh, I think yeah. that's what scares me about the next generation. And even my generation is like, yeah, people send so much, so much time just flipping through reels all day or TikTok. I it's cannot, like thousands I can't, and thousands. I can't do it. We can't, can't do, do it. it. That's yeah, no. Look, and I'm blessed with friends that do it and they just send me the best ones and I watch. <laughs> yeah. those, and that's yeah. obviously like very <laughs> selfish. But but yeah. look, like I have my, my best friend, he he knows he does it and he loves it. And yeah, yeah. Um I actually don't know if he loves it, but I'm assuming he loves yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> he does and, he uh, does just because someone does something a lot doesn't mean they love it. <laughs> correct. I probably he probably doesn't. He probably just has an addiction. Who knows? Yes. But he sends me, you know, two to fifteen a day and I'll go on every few days and watch them. And yeah. and look, it's or or memes and it's a great minute of my day, a minute and a half of mm-hmm. my day. But like I told him, I was like, look. I like I got shit to do yeah exactly but (laughs) people always tell me like wow you send me always the best memes and I'm just forwarding the ones my friend gives me yeah I'm not not actually (laughs) digging for any of these I'm just waiting for them to spend their time to do it right yeah like a good news source should be right yeah exactly go go dig around go find out what's going on and then come back and tell me right yeah but you have 200 characters in 30 seconds so like yeah (laughs) yeah um and if I sound like an asshole for saying that, then that's your opinion. That's fine. Um, <laughs> to anyone listening. Um, is there a sound that you associate with happiness? Uh, cat purring. Mm. You, you have your cat that left the, the recording studio. Yeah, not I, have two, I have two cats. Yeah, I have two cats. Bootsy and Buster. Lucy Collins, awesome. Garrett, and uh, and Buster, Buster the he's Groove Buster. That's that's the mm. the the long version of it. It all he's also called Damn It. <laughs> and are these are these rescues? Are they uh, ones you like? How long have you had these cats? Uh, so Bootsy's thirteen now, I think, and yeah. um, Buster's like nine. Um, we got awesome. Buster from the guy across the street from us in North Hollywood. We had a he was he, we had his sister as well, and she she uh, died like three years sorry, ago or four years ago. Yeah. It was kidney failure kind of thing. And, um, mm-hmm. and then Bootsy we got from, uh, my aunt and uncle's house out in the desert and uh, out in Palm Springs where they, they mm-hmm. found him under the shed and he, he just walked awesome. in, he came in the house and he was like, I don't know, like maybe three or four months old and he just came in the house. And so they locked yeah. him in the bathroom and they said, Hey Rob, we got a cat for you. And it's like, uh, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> okay. I'm on my way. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. And look there, there's so many things that animals can bring into your life. Um, and I, and I always love that. And, uh, luckily for me, my girlfriend has two dogs. Um, so ah. that keeps me. Keeps me <laughs> yeah. Um, except when the bigger one just sheds everywhere. That's the only thing that drives me insane. But that's yeah. Part of the, that's part of the, <laughs> that's part of par the, for the course. Yeah. It's par for the course, right? Like it's, it's yeah. to, be, to be expected, right? It's yes. like you were surprised the child that you, you reared is, is like barfing, puking and pooping yeah. everywhere. Like, why are you surprised? <laughs> yes. That's what they do. You know, it's like, it's dog shed kids cry it's you know fish fish swim um (laughs) is if if you could send uh, a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area um what would it say and where would you send it Hmm. um 
That's a good man. That is a that's a hard one. Um, I, I immediately said my 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 gut reaction was go outside, and I would just yeah. send it to, to everyone everywhere. Mm-hmm. Go outside immediately. But then I, I also thought like you know outside means different things. Like to me, if you know living in Los Angeles for so long. Outside yeah. wasn't enough. Like I needed to go. No, for sure. y- outside means you know seventy five miles. Sidewalk won't cut it. Yeah, no, seventy five <laughs> miles in some other direction. You know, to get away from yeah. the city. Um, yeah, I would I would say that yeah. get 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 connected to nature, damn it, mm. and just push send yeah. to everybody. Yeah, I remember there was this one time when I was working at Collins. Um, I said I was like super stressed. I looked at my my person sharing the big this big desk with me, and I was like, I need to get outside. Mm. And they're like. Oh, we'll just go take a walk. That's completely cool yeah. to everyone here. I was like, no, no, like I want, I want nature. He's like, well, Central Park's up there, and I'm like, no, no, like I want to go to JFK <laughs> no. and hop on a plane to Denver. You know, like I, yes. I need to go to nature. I need to go yeah. to some trees. Right? <laughs> um, yes, and and that's why I think coming back to where we where you choose to live, you know, mm-hmm. at at an age now where I need to be near a big airport to connect mm-hmm. with the people I need to connect with and grow the companies I want to grow and and work with the people I want to work with. Um, it's important to find a place that can do both. Seattle's the one yeah. I've come closest to that has access to the city and the airport, but also access to nature. Yeah. But also like most of the time, some people are like, well, why don't you just live in New York city to have the full nature and then just travel out often to like the, mo- like, you know, cause that's the thing is people don't realize the right winds. Seattle's as far away as Switzerland. I mean, yeah. Mm. So like it's, <laughs> You know, like, it, it, I mean, it's obviously a little bit farther miles wise, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if you're going to fly overnight on a plane, you're flying overnight on a plane. It's binary. Right, right, um, right. I know I'm going on a tangent right now, but all I'm saying is like <laughs> to some people, it means different things. And Yeah, outside. I yeah, think, I would say get out of the city. <laughs> yeah, be, get out of the city. Yeah. Get, Let's get, get more specific with the push notifications. <laughs> Look, go somewhere new, right? Like, yes. here's my thing. Like, if if if, mm-hmm. if going outside you is going to the same place you always go, like yeah. try someplace new. There's so yes. many places out there. So many places. Yep. Um awesome. Okay, last question for you. Um <laughs> in in the in the realm of this question, assume that your son has children of his own. Um mm-hmm. what okay. advice would you would you have for their generation? Mm. So grandpa Rob soapbox with the young grandkids. Yeah. You know, maybe grabbing the cat's tails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop that. Stop that. Yeah. That's uh, that's how the conversation always starts. Um, For sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say to them, Grandpa Rob Soapbox, that um, uh, try to um, try to love one another. Um, it, it, it seems that again, you know, coming, it, it seems like a Hallmark card sort of thing to say, but um, <laughs> caring about people is the only thing that actually makes the world move forward. And so many of the things that we are saddled with now are because someone along the decision chain didn't care about people. Um, yes. Whether it's, um, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, from the war in Ukraine or down to um, cigarettes to, um, yeah to, you know, uh, poisoned water in Detroit. Like it doesn't, you know, all of it, all of it, you know, if someone along the decision chain cared about people, they wouldn't have done that thing. And, um, if, if more people cared about more people, then the world would be a better place. Could not agree more. 
Um, do you have anything you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like to share to the audience? Uh, no. Um, I, I'm I'm working on uh, my own blog, which is on bendingpixels.com, and um, mm-hmm. uh, it's therapy. So if you enjoy reading the miscellaneous ramblings of an old guy trying to get back to being creative. Um, then that sounds great. That's the, <laughs> that's the, 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 uh, place for you if you like that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm going to be slowly over the coming, uh, year putting out a lot more of my own animation content and, and, uh, and tutorials about creating that animation. Yeah. So, uh, watch out for that. I love that. And, and look, now's the best time. YouTube is such a rich, rich environment yes. for, content and the world just needs more of it and like i think you are a positive voice that can help add to this 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 amazing kind of creation movement we have online but i my challenge to you is like the blog post those those rambling things in your head those would always make great videos and i i can imagine a point where like your blog posts turn into your own personal videos that are in place with your own animations i think that would be like a really beautiful (laughs) creation i I need to learn how to be i need to learn how to do them shorter For sure, right? But I, I think so to, to anyone that wants to, and this is this is a PSA for you and yeah. anyone else out there. To anyone that I've, I've I've tried to explain this before. There's a guy named Casey Neistat. I don't know if you've ever heard of him oh, before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, YouTuber, vlogger. I think most people listening to this will have heard of him. His 500 and whatever straight days of vlogging is a masterclass in how to be creative, literally out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is amazing watching someone storytell out of nothing. Um, yeah. and, and I think that I always tell people that it's a great place to start. And if you're looking to be creative, doesn't that scares you? The best thing you can do is start now and do way yes. more than you're comfortable, but doing, you Yeah, know? that's the story of people right there. Yes. I love it. <laughs> um, I look forward to meeting you soon, my friend. Um, we should go mountain biking. Yes. I'll bring Yes. In person. You have to promise to wait for me at the top of the hill though. <laughs> Oh, for sure. For, for sure. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think what I'll just do is, is it depends on what fate shape I'm in. Like if it's, if it's off season, like I, I know like on personally, like I've been taking a break from racing and this is the first year I'm going to get back into it. Um, nice. Kind of get back into that old shape, um, which I'm stoked to. Cause I've been, I have, I've been, I've always been in decent shape, but I haven't really been at that level of shape again, only cause I mm-hmm. know how much time it takes. And I also love food. So yeah. that goes to the two <laughs> yes. like pyramid like valleys. So it depends the time of yeah. season or how many beers I've had, but you might I might be waiting for uh, you might be waiting for me. So um, <laughs> but we'll 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 have fun. And 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 who knows, maybe yes. by then we'll have um helped. Fun will be had. Food. That's the one guarantee. Fun will always be had. Yeah, I need, I need to come see you and Heather and a few other fun people down at Bend. So, yes, please. That'd be amazing. Um, Always. Well, um, as always, um, right after this, everyone can find Rob. I'll, I'll link everything below. Um, and I thank you all for taking the time to listen. Thank you for uh, hearing me. I really appreciate the time. Always, my friend. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Rob Garrett. As always, you can find me online at Rob Auchincloss, and you can find Rob online at Bending Pixels or by simply Googling his name, Rob Garrett. That's double R, double T. I hope you all have a fantastic 